can being curious cure your condition? It's episode 54 with Candace Dixon here on No Boring Stories. Let's get into it. Welcome to the No Boring Stories podcast. You know that you can use storytelling to captivate your audience, clarify your message, and grow your business and impact like never before. That's why I'm here. Each episode bringing you transformative stories, expert storytellers, and my signature storytelling tools all to help you tell a better story. Because there's no such thing as boring stories, just boring storytellers. I'm your host, Alex Street, and the first concert I remember going to was January 1st, 2000. We saw the Tragically Hip in Toronto in a stadium show. It was the first of many concerts, honestly. And today on the show, we're not going to talk about concerts, but we do talk about 90s music a bit with Candace Dixon. She is a certified food freedom coach and intuitive healer with a passion for helping women recover from diet culture and heal from the body. We have a absolutely energetic back and forth conversation. We find out towards the end of this episode just how aligned we are in our mission for this world. I am so excited to bring Candace to you so you can hear her heart behind the work that she does, that this isn't about diets. This isn't about a food plan. This is about ultimately healing who you are and what you believe about your body and coming to a place of safety. You're going to love this episode. If you have struggled with some sort of disordered eating in your life, or you know that there are wounds to heal, or if you are simply a curious person, you are going to dive into this and eat it up. I'm telling you, and pun intended. Here's this conversation with Candace Dixon. Enjoy. Candace, how are you doing today? I'm so great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to share my story today. Yeah, this is a real joy. I can hear the excitement in your voice. I can see it on your face, obviously, but everybody listening can also hear this joy. Is this just how you show up? Is this kind of just, yeah. this is you? Yeah, this is me now. You know, it's actually really funny. We'll get, we'll dive into the details, but I'm sure. probably one of the kindest, most bubbly people that you know now, but in my old life, I was the angriest, meanest woman you ever knew. Wow. There we go. How's that for transformation already? You can picture the, the movie, right? You're opening up and you've got this really strict kind of, I don't know, Mary Poppins, but not nice type. Like <laughs> yeah. that's what I just got right there. Is there, is there a worse version of that? The parents and Matilda? I don't know. And, and you've got that. And then at the end, you've got this transformation happening where all of a sudden now you're showing it. Maybe you're the better version of Mary Poppins. There we go. That's, that's what I get. I'm visualizing the, uh, the little sound clip that's going around right to right now where it's like, this is me now. You're probably yes. wondering how I got here. <laughs> you're probably wondering how I got here. Yeah. Do you know what movie that's from? I don't know. I hear that I all the time. Know. I think it's a cartoon. Yeah. Okay. Sure Maybe it's Ratatouille. Anyways, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, okay. I, I want to dive into this. I want to ask you a question about this. Mm-hmm. And you, you sent me a bio at a time and in it, you, you said two key things that I really want to just open up <laughs> and let you talk about <laughs> and see where it goes. So one, so you're a champagne connoisseur and you're I, the I very I- first person that I've ever heard say that. <laughs> This is obviously not an official title. This is a self-driven title. Right. If you had said sommelier, then I would know, oh, she's serious about this. But a connoisseur means like, yeah, like I drink a lot of it. I do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. So I consider myself a coffee connoisseur, but it's simply because I have four cups a day. So that's, that's, (laughs) that's happening. I don't know if that's where you're at with champagne. I don't know if that's what's in your mug right now. Um, (laughs) not right now. What is, how does, where has that taken you? Where, tell me about what that is. It's just kind of a funny quirk about me because, um, I don't drink anything really, but champagne. Like if we're having drinks, it's champagne. So it's kind of silly to see me just, you know, at a barbecue drinking champagne, (laughs) (laughs) popping the cork or (laughs) wine or whatever. It's just really my favorite thing. And I'm not, uh, I'm not ashamed of the cheap stuff. I'm not mm-hmm. afraid of the cheap stuff. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think the cheaper, the better almost sometimes. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So I just, I really enjoy, um, you know, a brute, a rosé. I'm not, I'm not biased. I like them all, but I really, it's the only thing I, I like. So, <laughs> so are you, okay, let's get nitty gritty on this. So are you actually like, 
okay, but when I get like, cause shit, there's like champagne and sparkling wine, right? Like most of yeah. it, this is actually, have you seen Wayne's World? Do you remember Wayne's yes. World? There's yeah. a scene in that where the, the pompous jerk studio executive teaches that he says like, well, actually champagne is from a region in France called champagne. Most of what you're drinking is actually sparkling wine. That taught me everything that I need to know. I, I watched that so many times growing up and that's all that I know about champagne from that yeah, scene. <laughs> That's true. That's all it is. I mean, it, technically what I drink usually does say champagne on the bottle, but I'm not because I know that as well. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not biased. I, yeah, I will drink sparkling wine. <laughs> okay. All right. And so with that, you're bringing your champagne to 90s music dance parties. This is the other thing you said, yeah. that you love 90s yeah. music. So again, just trying to fill out this story of who you are and, and did you start listening? Like, was it Nirvana? Is that what made you angry? as in your past life was it was it early grunge 90s music that you were listening grunge. to yeah early grunge yeah um it, it evolved though you know what I again I'm not biased all 90s music I, I like I like the R&B stuff I like the hip-hop stuff I like the pop stuff give me some mm. Britney mm. um Bush you know uh, oh, come on all of it it's just glycerin it's so yes yes <laughs> I, I grew up I, I grew up in the 90s so I have so yeah. many fond memories to, the, to that music. And I think I spent a lot of my early twenties kind of fighting those roots and kind of like feeling silly for really enjoying yep. that music. But now I just embrace it. I just oh. really, you know, a lot of air guitar. Yeah. I just, I get it. Bring on it. the Spotify nineties, nineties <laughs> music playlists. That exactly. is my, my first album that I bought. Do you remember what yours was? Uh, uh, I, I, yes, it was third eye wine. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Semi-charmed life, which is yes. sounds so delightful and is about drug overdose. Yeah, okay. right. I, my parents were like, sure, listen to that fun poppy music. I was like, what does it mean to fall asleep inside someone? Um, <laughs> I, my first album was Dookie by Green Day. It was the yeah, first CD I bought and I, I fell in love with punk music because of that. I thought he was a Billy Joe Armstrong was the weirdest guy. You saw him at Woodstock. Then was it Woodstock 94? I guess I remember like I was, must've been like 12 years old then. I don't know. And he was, he's got mud thrown out of me, blue hair. And that to me is though, that is the epitome of nineties is like, you've got anything from Nirvana to Britney and yeah. it all fits. It all belongs yeah. and it is yep. who we are. Yeah, we are a jumbled, we are a jumbled mess. <laughs> We're such a mess. Let's get into the story. <laughs> well, this is so good. I feel like there you go, right? I already know, uh, you know so much about who you are now, but <laughs> let's open up on, uh, on a kind of what you do and the impact that you're making beyond these two highlights of, of you. Um, yeah. What, what are you doing now? How are you showing up? What's the main work that you're bringing to the world now, Candice? Uh so I mainly help people with disordered eating behaviors and I mm -hmm. call it disordered eating versus, um, eating disorders versus binge eating or actual labels because it's all disordered. So basically mm -hmm. any un unnatural eating habits, anything that's not intuitive, anything that's not, um, natural eating habits. So yeah. what I've found is just a lot of people have disconnect from their actual hunger cues and, um, cravings based on diet culture. And yeah. so what I do is help people to recover from diet culture and tap back into their bodies and the wisdom there and eat intuitively and actually essentially live intuitive lifestyles. And it starts with eating. Let's, mm -hmm. let's get your eating, your cravings, your intuitive habits in, in order. But then is it like, what's that ultimate impact when somebody works with you, they start to work on these things. They leave feeling now, how? completely transformed. And it actually starts with the relationship with the body, because the things that we're dealing with food is directly related to the way that we feel about our body. Right. So the only reason that we even mm. finagle with food is because of how we feel about our body. So we don't in my work, it sounds kind of weird, but it's not about the food. That's something I say all the time. And we yeah, actually right. don't, we don't really even talk about the food. Like there's structure, obviously that we really kind of want to create an environment that that is conducive for food freedom, all foods fit, you know, we really want to create and build a healthy relationship with food. But at the end of the day, we're it's all coming back home to the body, we're really healing from uh, our inner wounds. And that's a lot of that is around childhood stuff. But a majority of it is around puberty, where we're all learning about our bodies. And we're learning uh -huh. that they're kind of the most important thing about us. And people really care about them. And, Speaking of the 90s. Know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> for, for me, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me too. For me too. Yeah. So it's, 
it's so um, interesting because really what I see a lot of is people who struggle with um, a lot of people that I work with struggle with binge eating. That's a big part of my, mm. my story that we'll get into. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that behavior in itself is so compulsive and shameful and people really want to get that out of under control. But the interesting thing is that we, we really need to focus less on the food when we're talking about binge eating and more about the connection to the body and our relationship with our body, our beliefs about our body, things like that. Okay. So again, so somebody comes in, comes to you, maybe saying like, Hey, yeah, I've got this issue. You know, I'm, I'm really facing, I've, I've struggled with this, you know, most of my life or the last three years, whatever it is, last three months, I'm really recognizing that this is a pattern and this is mm -hmm. thing. I've got this disordered eating um, habit and they come to you with that. And then you dive in, you do the work. And we realize that this actually goes back to, you know, you were 11 years old, you were six years old and somebody told you, you know, mm -hmm. stop eating. And that's stuck mm -hmm. with you ever since. And something like that. Again, they leave, they, they now feel, you said, you said, you know, freedom transforms. What we do is basically, basically create food freedom where yeah. before we had, um, people don't always resonate with diet culture or the word dieting. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't think a lot of people really think that they're dieting anymore. I think some people think that they're just, um, engaging in new lifestyles when they're yeah. changing the way that they eat. Um, but what they, what we do is we create, uh, they, they leave the coaching container with me actually developing their own state of freedom with food. So they feel yeah. safe to not have to restrict their food any longer and not have to, um, feel like they need to control their food because actually yeah. we don't need to control our eating. Eating is not something that needs to be controlled. And so then when they, when they create that freedom around their food, I, that leads to, you know, beyond life, just food. Yeah. Life fulfillment, life fulfillment. Yeah. I mean, it's so, um, you know, there's things that people have said to us in our past that make us believe things about our body, but there's also things from our past that made us feel unsafe and out of control. And food is the one thing that makes us feel in control of ourselves. It's something that we can do to make ourselves feel safe and in control. Mm -hmm. And so when we now feel safe in, in our bodies, right, when we're really getting to the root of it to find yeah. safety in our bodies and heal from the body then life becomes so much easier. And mm. we start the journey thinking that it's a problem with our body. It's a problem with our weight. It's a problem with food, but it's really this more internal problem around safety in our body and all the things that we're doing that cause disorder and yeah. disease in our life. It's rooted in that. There's a couple of words that, that show up there around this sort of, you know, end result, or at least mm -hmm. the story so far. And this idea of freedom, um, of transformation, and safety, you were just touching on a lot there is, is, is somebody will get to the point where they feel safe in their own body. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is a really, I'm glad that you asked this question about safety because it's something people, most people don't think about, yeah. but really it's, uh, on a nervous system level. So if you think about anything in your life that triggers you and triggers are activations, you know, your body feels activated. Something's something's activating you and triggering you. So someone right. says something to you and you kind of go into a response and that's not conscious, your body, your nervous system is responding to the external cue or the internal cue. Sometimes it's your thought. Um, your body is responding to that based on its old conditioning, its old knowings, the patterns and the blueprints that's developed from the past. And this is so old and ingrained. We don't even think about it, but right. what's happening is the body is noticing that it's not safe. There's danger. There's danger. We are not yeah. safe. We yeah. need to correct. We need to find yeah. safety. We need to find balance. And so what we will do are a lot of unhealthy, um, disruptive things. If we're not aware that that's fundamentally what it is, we just don't feel safe in this moment. Okay. Yeah. What about this moment is making me not feel safe. How do I restore feelings of safety in my body that don't require me to do all of these, uh, dishonoring things to myself, abandoning myself, betraying myself, sabotaging mm -hmm. myself in order to feel in control and to feel safe when that's really all I'm trying to do. Um, wow. so for a lot of women, that's just looking at themselves in the mirror, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror, getting ready in the morning, thinking thoughts about being fat and feeling unworthy and unlovable. These create an unsafe trigger. There's, there's danger here. Right. When you look at yourself and you don't like what you see, you're saying that the nervous response is danger, danger. Yes. I'm not going to be loved. I'm not going to be accepted. I'm not going to be understood. I can never have the things that I want. A lot of these disempowering beliefs are really triggered on a subconscious level. So it's, yeah, it, it does all come back to safety and we can get into the nitty gritty about how we do that and how that's involved with the nervous system. But I had no idea 
um, yeah. that the nervous system was even a, a thing that was that had to do with the way that I was eating. So pretty interesting. Until okay, let's just just put a date to this. Until how long ago? Just how many years ago would you say that? Like, um, whoa, that's when I really started to to figure out what was going on here. The journey for me started in 2016. Okay. So, um, but I would say that it's been a solid four years now that I've been uh, free from all of my you know, struggles around food. It really, it Incredible. really did take me, take me some trial and error to figure it out for a couple of years. <laughs> so, okay. So take this idea of safety then. Mm -hmm. uh, is that okay to, to land on that yeah. again? Like to say like, look, if there's, if there's one thing that I could say that somebody at the end of this feels this, yes, it's, it, there's freedom. There's all that, but I love that word mm -hmm. safe. They feel safe mm -hmm. within their own, their own body, most yeah. intimate body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Ian, is that how you feel right now? Yes. As you, as you, yes. you, that's, this is, this is you, right? So, yes. so that's where I would say, where does this idea, if that's such a passion of yours, this is why you get up in the morning. This is why you do yeah. the work that you do so that you can help uh, people get to this place. Mm -hmm. Where does that, that desire, that need, that idea of safety or lack of safety for you, Candice begin? Like, early on childhood, you know, what's that environment like? Where does, what, what comes to mind as a moment that shows up when you're like, okay, this is why this is where. Yeah. Um, that's such a deep, deep and multifaceted question, but to, <laughs> to answer it, I think on a, a broad level for me and my story, it really started when my parents got divorced at yeah. nine years old. And, and for a lot of people, it's some kind of a big childhood impact that sort of makes us go, oh no, I need to protect myself. I need to develop, you know, archetypes within myself. I mm -hmm. need to develop um, habits and things to do to protect myself. And so for, for me and for a lot of people that I mm -hmm. serve, what that looks like is high achieving um, yeah. tendencies, um, you know, earning accolades to get love, to be seen, yeah. you know, to uh, feel impressive. So, um, so yeah, okay. So my parents actually got divorced when I was nine as well. So wow. there we go. Um, did, and who did you, somebody, mom or dad leaves and you live with the other one? Who, who was that? Uh, my situation was sort of bounced around a bit yeah, with, okay. between the two of them. So there wasn't one or the other that was okay. mostly right. constant, but I, I love that question because that's a question we would ask inside of coaching is really which parent did you yeah. relate the most with? Because that's going to tell us a lot about um, your feminine attributes mm -hmm. and your masculine attributes and how comfortable you are with that polarity and expressing yourself. Um, so, yeah. I mean, okay, this is so good. It's a, uh, <laughs> let's hang out here for just a minute because for me, this is this work that I've been doing recently. And, and just to come to this moment, I love this. I love feeling the solidarity in this and, and locking in on a moment like this. And again, this is the key of just even mentioning something like this. Now you get somebody uh, saying, you're kidding, you too. Mm -hmm. Just, it's literally what I just did with you, right? It's like, you're kidding, nine years old, you too? Wow. And and now that's created something that's created some sort of a bond. Whatever we do with that, that's up to us, but that's created now some sort of a relational bond between us. Yeah. And this is the value of this moment. But then what you get to do, what I love that you started to go into is see how that moment then started to create these patterns. Mm -hmm. And for me, what again, the work that I've done in this is like, like my, I'm a mama's boy. I wanted to be like my mom all the time. She's the one who poured love on me. And, um, when she left, she, she left us. And anyways, that's the story. And, and I realized, I mean, this, this has created who I am and this need to like, that was so much pain. Mm -hmm. So what did I do? Well, I went and created my own worlds. I played with mm -hmm. action figures. I made stories. I made movies. I did these things. I acted. I did whatever I could to get out of that lack of intimacy that yeah. I was desiring. Yeah. And which is funny because then it led me down a path to become an actor like she was and to just admire her even more. Mm -hmm. And so, as you say, it's like there's something happens here that then creates these things that we just say, oh, this is just who I was. Yeah. But you're locking in and saying like, yeah, but if we can mm -hmm. open that up, we can see that, then we can start to address something right. there. Right. And so for you, that created, that created patterns of, of again, accolades and, and, and overachieving. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for a lot of women that struggle with food and body stuff, that's kind of the, the commonalities, a lot of perfectionism, Mm. um, overly critical, you know, really high achieving. And, um, it's so, it's so interesting that you, that you spoke to, you know, this story and how that's showed up for you. And, and the, that I think that's really common is that we all kind of just get through life and we eventually get to this place where we're like, Hmm, like, I, I wonder why I am the way that I am. And like, I'm struggling yeah. with X, Y, Z, but why is it so h- hard for me and so much easier for other people? And we really don't take into consideration these micro details from our life. We're so used to kind of just like, yeah, that happened, but it's, it's okay. It's, it's yeah. not a big deal, but, but it really created who we are. So mm. doing the work to understand it and actually go back into those, those times and sort of understand ourselves, it really can help us. It can benefit us to go, you know what? I see myself running on this hamster wheel, trying to feel safe, trying to get love, trying to make a connection with myself, trying to be something, whatever it is, the, the need that we're trying to meet. Yeah. And I don't have to do this anymore. I can choose to do something differently. But until we admit to ourselves, accept the reality and really see it clearly, we can't create change. Right. Right. You, you can't yep. change what you're not aware of, what you keep brushing under the rug, what you keep saying is, is no big deal. And so if you see yourself constantly um, hiding away in, in realities you've made or numbing out because things feel hard, can you be honest with yourself about what's happening and curious about why that might be happening mm. versus judgmental? I think we're constantly either pretending things didn't happen or judging ourselves for them and there is no way through. There is no yeah. transformation that can happen when we're doing that. So. Mm. Okay. A couple of things you said there, uh, micro details yeah. is a phrase I'm going to, I'm going to snag. I'm going to take that and run <laughs> with that because that is, <laughs> I love that. And that is, that is the work that I do with so many is we, we go through, we go into this story and I'm just scribbling all these little notes and they don't seem like they mean anything. And then all of a sudden we see how there's all these micro details that really add up to defining moments. And I just think that's so key. And then you said this word curious, being curious is what leads to change. If you're not curious, if you don't, if you can't do the work, if you can't go back and ask the questions and see it honestly, then you'll never change. And I just love what you're doing and how it aligns with the mission of not only this podcast, but my entire life overall is really like, oh yeah, no. So food, food freedom, you, you help people create meal plans. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) We do not. We're doing, we're going deep, 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 deep and opening this up. Um, Yeah. And so, so, okay. So open up your story a little bit more for us then there's this significant moment that Mm -hmm. makes you go what high achieving entrepreneurs and public speakers this is for you you know that you've got something important to do here but why in the world are you doing it and even if you know why how do you talk about that That's why I'm so excited to invite you into my one-on-one story coaching process. Through this three-month journey, we will go into intensive sessions to uncover your story, turn it into a message that matters, and then create content specific to your context and business today. I have worked with dozens of clients that have experienced major transformation through this experience and more importantly, have discovered the transformation that they have already gone through in their life. Because when you know how you have transformed, you can communicate that so your audience knows how you can transform them too. Look, 96% of consumers buy based on emotions. And if storytelling is our greatest tool to spark an emotional response, then you better learn to tell your story today. And one-on-one story coaching is the best way to do it. Go to alexstreet.ca to get the conversation started or reach out to me on Instagram at streetsays and say, I'm interested in one-on-one and let's talk. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I think I can relate to you and what you said about like really wanting to be like your mom and like really kind of idolizing her and sort of you, the, the things when we were younger, um, those earlier memories are always mm-hmm. so much more easy for us to see with rose colored glasses. Yeah. 
So we can kind of romanticize that time and really try to go back to that time and think everything was fine. And so um, my first nine years of life, my family was together and everything was normal. And you know what, I had a mom and a dad and maybe things weren't great, but I romanticized all of that. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, when they split, I think, uh, you know, now for this perspective, going back there, I decided in that moment that I was never going to lose love that I was never going to be like them, that I was never going to be abandoned and left alone. And I was going to do everything I could to be someone that was worthy of love that some yeah. that could never be left. You know what I mean? It was just this need to be the best. So that someone who could never be left. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. that, yeah. that carries layers to it that I just, I, someone who could never be because yeah, that is so much about other people. Mm-hmm. how other people react to you or will react or treat you. There's so much to that to create yeah. this life now where I will never be left. And it all comes back to safety because the reason we think we need that external love is because it made us feel safe. And again, when we were younger, we had this family unit where we were all together and there was love and there was partnership and we were safe. Mm-hmm. And so that's what safety means to us. And so we're constantly as adults, subconsciously looking for this external, not that we don't need love as a human thing. We all need love mm-hmm. and connection. Right. But we have to, we have to get right with our own self-love before we can call in a real, true, honest love that is not going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause if we're doing a lot of external things in the, um, in the world to, to fake things that are not our authentic selves, to get love, then that love is going to be lost, right? You cannot sustain love if you're doing false things. And that's kind of the idea with food. It's the same thing. We treat, we treat everything as energy in my work. Mm -hmm. We're Mm -hmm. we're realizing that everything is energy. Food is energy. Money is energy. Love is energy. It is all energy. So if we have, if we're behaving in a way with these energetic resources, that is false that's rooted in a false sense of self that's fake. Mm -hmm. That's kind of giving us this false confidence that is not sustainable. That resource is going to be, uh, we're going to have a disordered relationship or dysfunctional relationship with that resource. We do look back and we, we, we define those ages with the wisdom that we have now. And you can say, well, this is what I was looking for at nine years old. Um, Mm -hmm. nine, 10, 11, 12, you know, you're showing up, you're now in middle school and, and you lead into high school. And it's all about, as you say, it's, it's puberty. It's, it's, where do I belong? Mm -hmm. What is this body? How does this body work? Why why do I all of a sudden care what other people are thinking of me instead of just in what's my own head? What is in my own head? You've got all these thoughts and all these things going on while your world was just earthquake split apart. Um, what did that actually look like? As you talk about this, this relationship with, with the different energy around you, specifically Mm -hmm. food, how did that show up? What, how did that translate into the way that you showed up as a teenager? Yeah, I love, I love that question. I think, I think really it does come back to that fundamental, um, desire for me to feel safe. And the, I, the, the solution that I had created was Mm -hmm. that I was going to adapt myself in such a way that was going to make me lovable. And so I was constantly seeking love. I would do anything I could to seek love. And so what does that mean when you're a young pubescent girl, you're looking around at all the other girls and going, why, what am I missing? How do I Mm -hmm. be more like this? And so it, it appears to me in my little adolescent mind that this woman has a beautiful body Mm -hmm. and everything she could possibly want, even though I know nothing about her life and her misery and her pain and her struggles, but from a child, you know, mind from a stunted level Mm -hmm. this is what i'm seeing and of course it's in the media and it's it's just you go to holiday things with family and your aunt is saying something about you know diets they're starting and it's just it's constantly in your face that Mm -hmm. you need to change your body your body is the the thing that's going to make you lovable no one is going to want you if you don't have a lovable body you need to control your body this is the messaging that we're that we're freaking spice girls you know being sent right yes (laughs) yes If you want to be my yeah, it is extremely, um, it's tough. It's tough out there, especially I think in the nineties too, like, yeah. like today we're, we're more progressive. This is really, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of women in, in my circles and my spaces that are talking to their daughters and their kids about yeah. body image and body, you know, loving yourself no matter what, but in the nineties, it was not mm-hmm. like that. It was skinny hip bones out low, you know, like it was, 
you had to be thin. Thin was, was, was where it was at. That was how right. you're going to get love. So of course I started developing really unhe unhealthy things with food, lots and lots of restriction, lots of punishment with exercise, mm. um, sabotaging behaviors, self-violent behaviors, not to the extent of, you know, cutting myself or anything like that. But for me, it was just really, you know, partying when I shouldn't have, you know, being more promiscuous. And right. a lot of these, these things that made me feel connected to others really is what it, what it was. was. And, and were you that conscious? Again, this is the thing, right? We look back no. and we can define that. So no. So like, it's not like you're at home writing in your journal, like, won't somebody love me? You're just, no. you're just taking one day at a time and doing whatever yeah. actually feels good and, and searching for something that will make you feel significant. Exactly. Yeah. At the time I had no idea this was what was going on, that this was my reality. And mm. I lived a lot of my adult life, not even being aware of that. I was completely right. unconscious to all of that. But again, we get to this place where we're like, hmm, what's really, what's really going on. And I need, yeah. I, I deserve to look deeper here. And after a lot of reflection and obviously a lot of layers of work, this is really what's unfolded. And I'm kind of come to the, the conclusion of <laughs> yeah so so let's take that story where it goes to kind of this peak moment this climax mm -hmm. that like what leads you to you know whatever work you're doing at that point kind of into college or out of college and and as you say you're sort of still living in this pattern this rhythm mm -hmm. of of i'm just damaging myself i'm hurting myself and looking for something i'm looking for safety but i don't even know it i'm not even aware of that and then yeah. at some point things shift. So just open that up. What was that world like for you? And then a moment that really uh, yeah. was the catalyst for, for where we are. Well, I think there was a few moments and since then, because I had uh, in high school, what developed was body dysmorphia, which is pretty much present in most people. In fact, if you can think of a time where you look back at a photo of yourself and think you look a lot different than you felt at the time, that's a, that's a layer of dysmorphic, um, our brains have the ability of doing that. So everybody has a tinge of it, but it is a lot more extreme when we have food disorders. Right. Okay. So body dysmorphia is what started um, for me. And again, I didn't realize this at the time, Right. but what ended up happening from there was that I developed anorexia and then that turned into bulimia. So in my early twenties, here mm. I am with these eating disorders that I have no idea really that it's like I'm, I'm asleep to the fact that this is what's going on I'm just like denying the fact that I'm throwing up my food and that I'm restricting myself and starving myself I'm not aware of it but I have this deep desire again for love yeah. and so in my in my early 20s I, I I wanted nothing but to be a mom and but to be a wife that is all I wanted and so the first relationship that came along that provided me that opportunity I jumped on board without you know, knowing anything about anything and, um, got pregnant with my son very early, had him very early in my early twenties, which as you can imagine being pregnant, uh, with eating disorders <laughs> and, you know, the whole relationship yeah. with food, like that all got very, uh, it was an interesting time. And I think mm -hmm. that that was when I kind of started becoming more aware of the fact that what I was doing wasn't healthy, wasn't normal or wasn't, um, not normal because everybody else seemed to be doing what I was doing. That's why I felt like it was normal, but I started waking right. up to the fact that this was wrong. That was that time. because you are now conscious of the, the other person within you? I mean, very literally, like, is, is that what it was? There's there now, a, Oh, this isn't just me. Yeah. There's another person here that I have to take care of that. I, I need to sustain the life of my body is sustaining this, this being's life. And I'm doing all of these, these things to my body. And I have doctors telling me, you know, you need to be treating it. They didn't know anything yeah. about my eating disorders, but it's, I kind of started waking up to it, even though I was still very much in denial because I was still, um, trying to get love. I was still very immature and asleep to a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Something is yeah. so fascinating about that though, of how we can be so, so, um, on such a bumpy path and, and truly destructive, uh, to yeah. ourselves and it may not change until, you know, you said be curious, but then take that to another step of, of almost being active or, or looking out to, to see the effect that you can have on other people. It's about impact. And there's mm -hmm. something about that. Again, you, it's like this most, the most intimate relationship that you can have with another human is mother to child um, mm -hmm. as it's, as he's growing within you and then 
he's there with you and you're holding it. Like there's this something, something begins to click where you realize, well, my actions can and will impact somebody else's life. Mm-hmm. I better do something about this. And I think right. whether, again, whether that's this relationship, an actual family relationship, or we look at how my rhythm and my day and my patterns are keeping me or holding me back from actually changing other people's lives, mm-hmm. something sparks, something lights up, something awakens inside of us to make us go, Ooh, I should change something. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, we're all humans. And the reason we're here is to relate with each other. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the purpose of life is to have these deep, intimate connections with people. And we're so afraid of that, but we crave it so, so much, you know, Mm. but we're afraid of it because we don't really trust ourselves. We're ashamed of ourselves. We're second guessing ourselves. And this is, this is stuff everybody does. Like this is, these are little things that everybody does, but I think you wake up at some point to realize the bigger picture, which is that we are relational beings and that the dysfunction in our relationships and the blocks that we feel around really being our true selves and being seen and held and who we really truly are by everyone, not just our romantic partners. But if we can't show up in the world authentically, we do eventually kind of start to wake up to, you know what, I'm not receiving the love that I want to receive. And this doesn't feel, I don't feel like I'm properly giving love the way that I know that I can give Mm. love. And hopefully everybody wakes up to this you know, at some stage in life and can break this apart for themselves with curiosity and yeah. intention and mo- moving forward in a new way. Because again, you can't change what you don't see. So we have to accept with so much love the shit that we do mm-hmm. <laughs> so that so that we can change it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's this tipping point and like, here's a moment of, you know, getting pregnant, uh, going through that pregnancy, having your son, And that leads us, that leads into, you know, where do we go from there? From there, I'm, I, I do develop, I do realize that my marriage is, is not going to work. We go through a separation, which turns into a divorce. And during that process, I developed a new eating disorder, Mm. binge eating disorder. So I had given up on the overly restrictive um, anorexic tendencies and the bulimia pretty much went away. The throwing up was no longer, um, it didn't feel like a safe tactic for me to use after my son was born. It just Mm -hmm. really wasn't something that I used anymore. So what happened was I had, okay, the restriction creates the overconsumption. And when we're overconsuming and we're no longer throwing it up, you know, we're no longer purging then, then that is when it turns into binge eating disorder. And so I was just really treating my body like a garbage can. I was just kind of just, just numbing out and just eating whatever I possibly could because of all the years of restriction. And, um, I also developed this kind of underlying feeling, which I'm now aware of that I wasn't at the time, which is I was building a barrier to intimacy. So the very thing that I was really craving, I had so much proof that I wasn't worthy of and that I couldn't keep that I felt like subconsciously, if I could create this barrier on my physical body to intimacy, to the things that I really, really wanted, then I could be safe because I could never really have the thing that I wanted, but I, because I didn't think I was going to be able to get it anyways. You know what I mean? So it kept me in this, this loop. It's almost like, it's so confusing what you're saying, except everybody's nodding their head. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) like, I don't really get it, but I totally understand it. I least, yeah, of course you create, you're like, "I, I really want that thing, but I'm also afraid of it. And I also don't think I'm truly going to ever get it or worthy of it. And so I'd rather just sabotage myself now kind of a thing. And this isn't conscious stuff that we think of. Obviously, yeah, of This course. is looking back and becoming aware. Yep. So um, through the binge eating disorder, what ended up happening was um, I developed a four different gut health disorders. So I had small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. I had a candida overgrowth. I had leaky gut. Um, and of course, IBS, which is what the doctors say when they don't know what else is wrong with you. Hmm. Um, and so I went through probably like a year and a half of going to all the different kinds of practitioners I could, Western, Eastern medicine, trying to find a solution to my gut health issues. And no one was really helping me. So I was really starting to realize that I, I needed to start exploring different avenues that weren't so mainstream. Hmm. And that's when I started tapping more into energy and these um kind of more 
views of around oneness and really what love is all about and what it really means to be a human being and soul work and all of these other things that are not so surface level uh things that were driving me before Mm -hmm. and as i started to explore those those things i started healing i started getting better but the uh that was only after i forgot one eating disorder through the through the gut health stuff i also developed orthorexia and orthorexia is, I want to mention it here today because it's something that's really, a lot of people struggle with it today. It's per, yeah. one of the most prominent eating disorders today, even though it's not yet classified as an actual eating disorder yet. But what it is, is it's, orth, it's anorexia, severe restriction, but anorexia says you need to restrict because you're fat. Orthorexia says you need to restrict to be healthy. And that's even more confusing because what is health, right? Every wow. like there's yeah. different ideas about healthy. So orthorexia has you restricting everything that is not your idea of healthy. And when you are in that state, mm-hmm. you don't know what what reality is. You know, you feel very out of touch with reality. What is health? My body's failing me. Mm-hmm. My gut health. I feel like shit. You know, like mm-hmm. I just need some help. Nothing's working. So um, orthorexia was really what drove me to actually find these solutions. These does that look like, uh, you know, a high level general scale? Again, I, I've actually never heard the term before. And so, but does that look, you say it's, it's really prevalent right now, but it's not mm-hmm. really being talked about. Is that no. somebody being like, oh, I've heard that a keto diet is good. I'm going to go and do that. And I start that tomorrow. Like, can that be yeah. a, a version of that? Is that like, it, or I just go into it without really understanding it? I'm restricting, um, but I'm also... that. That might be somebody who's just a typical dieter, but I think if it was someone who was orthorexic going after a keto diet, what it would look like would be more, um, this person probably has some sort of health issues that mm-hmm. they're being told by someone that keto okay. will fix. Yeah. And that's not, that's not false. Like that could be the truth. Like, right. There's, there's temporary ways of eating that sometimes our, our bodies do need in order to heal and recover mm-hmm. from the ways that we've been treating them. But what I believe is that that's all temporary. It's, right. It should never be keto is not a lifestyle, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, yeah. yeah. So hopefully that answers your question. It's really rooted in a fear around health. And so other eating disorders are rooted in a fear around fat. Orthorexia is rooted in a fear around health. So you, you, you're afraid of death. You're afraid of, um, uh, becoming sick, you know, or or not being a good person. Your identity is really wrapped up in being the healthiest. It just seems like there's a really fine line as you get into this. And again, this is where I love what you're doing because you're like, no, 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 this is so much bigger than just what are you restricting or not restricting? It's not about the diets, but that's a symptom of something bigger going on Yes. because when you get into, well, is this restriction? Okay. And is this one not okay? Like that's a different conversation. It's part of the conversation, but it's, it's a very small part of the conversation, whether you drink again, four cups of coffee or a bottle of champagne, whatever, like figure it out as long as you're healthy and you feel safe yeah. in, in who you are, that's really yeah. what we care about here. Right. Right. Oof. Exactly. And that, that moves in beautifully into the next part of my story, <laughs> because from, from there, after the orthorexia uh, and all of these, the, the gut health issues, that's exactly what I recognized. It needs right. to be more intuitive. It needs to be more intuitive. I need to have the abilities within myself to say, this is enough. I've done enough. There's nothing more that I can Mm. do for my health. And this is okay. I'm allowed to make these choices because I think we give away our, our sovereignty, the part of us that, that owns our decisions. We give that away to, well, what should I do to be better? I want to be better and I don't know how to be better. So I need to look externally instead of checking in what does better mean to me? What, what am I really looking for? What does success mean? What do I really want out of this transformation? And how do I achieve that for myself in a way that feels good? Because if I follow what feels good for me, that's what's right for me. Mm. And through doing that, I was able to finally release 85 pounds of excess weight, uh, keeping it off versus in the past, my past life, I've lost a hundred pounds, gained a hundred pounds, lost a hundred. I've done that twice in my life. And now at this stage, this is the first time I've ever been able to naturally, some people don't like using that word, word, but naturally release weight as a result Mm -hmm. of just building a healthy relationship with food that allows me to make my own decisive choices and own them. And so that 
I mean, I want to highlight, I've got a question for you, but I want to highlight, you said we're giving away our sovereignty. And I mean, that made me feel something. Um, you know, I, I often say when I'm doing workshops and stuff, I get people to say, to type in the chat box, type the word magic. If, if what I'm saying makes you feel something that, that <laughs> phrase, that's magic. Yeah. <laughs> we're giving away our sovereignty, uh, the ability to make our choices. Um, what, when you say that that's when everything shifted, when I really like went into this idea of intuition leading the way, mm-hmm. was that mm-hmm. 2016? Was that kind of that moment that you go back? Who, who taught you, who, who came in and, and helped you, who was around you at the time, whether it's an author or there's somebody like, who was your influence that helped really kind of shift that? So many. Um, I, I started looking, I started reading everything I could consume, following any thought leaders I could follow around. I had heard of intuitive eating. And mm-hmm. I, I think I, I did what a lot of people do, just going like, oh, that sounds like a new diet. Like, that's just, I don't really know what that is. It seems really difficult. It's really hard. I don't really know. I'll just go ahead and keep doing the things that I'm doing. Um, but as I started exploring it and reading it, and there's a lot, there's, there's a book called intuitive eating. Right. There's, there's a lot of reading that you can take up, but I also found a community called hungry for happiness, which is where I became certified in what I do mm. and, uh, as a food and body coach. And so I learned so many principles there on how to actually move people through the process of healing that relationship versus prior to entering that community. I had really just done a lot of my own soul searching and, and, uh, patchwork of different healers mm-hmm, and different modalities mm-hmm. and things to kind of create my own, um, what worked for me. And then I was able to go through the certification through hungry for happiness to learn how to be able to help other people create something that's intuitive for them. So they don't yeah. feel like they have to follow my plan in order to achieve you know, freedom. Isn't that the way? I mean, that's, that's the plan, right? It's teaching someone to yeah. fish. It, it's, um, giving them the ability to go and live live by their own sovereignty. Right. I'm fascinated by who you are, the energy that you bring to this, the the way that you have uh, and can so eloquently unpack your story and find these moments. You've clearly done work in this, which I think, aside from certifications, gives you this authority to go and do that work for other people because you know what you're looking for. You know what you're listening for. And then mm-hmm. believe more than anything, you believe that that nothing that is done is permanent. Um, yeah. and, and it can be, you know, we can find a solution to this, this problem that we're facing. What I hear ultimately with you, Candace, it, to, you know, to hear this story, we started, we said that you, you, you know, you're helping people feel safe and that's how you feel right now. And we go back and there was this moment, the finding moment that kind of broke things open for you. And from there, you were looking and looking and looking, I would say searching, searching, searching for significance, for love, for relationship, for somebody to notice you, accolades, whatever that is, you were searching, searching. And then over a few moments, getting pregnant and realizing this is about more than just me. This isn't about finding something that will bring me love because all the love that I need is already within here. But then that only started a journey that has then taken still many years since then to unpack through even more difficulty and more disordered eating brought you to a point where you're like, there's got to be another solution. You find this community, you get certified and you realize I'm not searching anymore. I've got what I need. I feel safe. I want to help people who are searching to feel safe as well. And here you are today. Here I am. That's in a nutshell, perfectly. It's beautiful. I love it. I'm excited because people are going to hear this and find themselves in that place. Similar, similar situations too, right? Like, like if, even if, even if you don't, like you said, with your, your story, even if you don't resonate with what happened to me as becoming a high achieving perfectionist at the age of nine, after my parents divorced, you know, everybody's got like, oh yes, there is something that pivotally shifted Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in my life that I can be more curious about. It's my responsibility to myself to, we we cannot, judgment can't exist where curiosity is present, basically. That's what I like to tell people. If you can commit to curiosity about your life and your experiences and your story, curiosity is an antidote for judgment. And judgment, it doesn't serve anyone. Judgment is actually false. It's it's, it's a complete, uh, <laughs> I mean, we could go off on this whole tangent uh-huh. about it. It's just, it's not even real. There's no, who are we to judge and say what's right or everything is perfect. 
that's the truth. What I, I know about myself is that I am an endlessly curious person. And that is, that is the work that I do is it's just like this. I just keep asking mm-hmm. questions because I'm, I'm wholly interested. And what I also know is that people tell me stuff that I, I judge not. I, mm-hmm. I reserve even the right to judge because you're going to go into your story. I'm just going to be curious. I'm going to find the thread. That's what I'm looking for. Tell me about what you did at 17. Tell me about what was done to you at 11 years old. Tell me about what crime you committed at 27. I, it, I don't care, mm-hmm. except I really care. Like it's yeah. this curiosity without yeah. judgment is, as you say, the way that this works because it's all yeah. good. Yeah. And what you're doing is the purest form of human relating. You are doing exactly what it means to relate with other humans. You are curiously discovering new humans and, yeah. and the, all of the, the things that make them who they are. And that's beautiful. That's the meaning of life, right? But mm. everything, everything else that we're doing when we're relating with people is fake. It's the opposite. We're listening to people not with your, the intentions that you have, but most often we're listening to people with the intention to speak next or to share next yeah, or to yeah. put our advice on to someone or whatever. But really that curiosity is so, uh, it's, it's pivotal. It's pivotal for the human experience. This is not where I thought the conversation would go. <laughs> I can say that confidently. <laughs> Um, I, I have been so uh, entranced and delighted by this conversation so far. This is the first of many that, that you and I will have for sure. I'm sure uh, this is the start of a friendship. And um, we're, we obviously <laughs> both believe the same about just the way that the world works. And I love yeah. that you're doing that. You're taking that why, that belief that you have, and helping people in this very niche, succinct way. And I'm doing it in a totally different way. And that yeah. I think just really highlights the beauty of this journey is, is you've got a thing, you've got a belief, you've got a why. And as similar as your why might be to somebody else, it'll show up in a totally different how. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how you are showing up, Candice, is no doubt transforming lives absolutely shifting not just individuals but generations i'm sure as they they work with you and they go through this and they begin to feel safe in their bodies they then teach others how to do the same and i am so grateful to get to know you today i'm so grateful that you shared what you have with my audience here and i know that this is going to be the start of conversations for you with some of my audience so if they want to find you what's the best way to, to start a conversation with you Instagram. Instagram would be the best place. I'm very chatty there. You can always send me a message um, in my DMs. I love talking to people there. So Coach with Candice is my handle. And you can also find my website, coachwithcandice.com. There's a lot of information there, but Instagram is the best place to start a conversation. Excellent. I love it. Fantastic. Um, anything else that you want to say about you know living a, a not boring story today? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that pretty much covers everything. I think I feel pretty complete with sharing my story today. And I'm really honored to have had the platform and the opportunity and hopefully, hopefully inspire somebody to kind of maybe wake up to the fact that what they really are after is healing and that what they're doing with food might just be a symptom of the healing that that needs to be take taken place, but coming home to themselves that that they might like to um, the journey yeah. that they'd like to take. Yeah, yeah. the food is just a symptom. Food is just a symptom. Incredible. Well, yeah. if I didn't have to pay through the nose for the rights for music or something, then I'm sure that I would end this episode with like no doubt or or you know maybe yes. some bush X. <laughs> but uh, but as it is, we'll leave it at this, and I'll just say thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. This has been No Boring Stories. I am Alex Street, and we are just getting started. I'd love to know what you thought of this conversation, so please feel free to reach out to me on my website, on Instagram, or in the Fearless Speakers Academy and share your thoughts. In the meantime, honor this conversation, go out in your life, and tell a better story today. We'll see you next time.